0: Hello and welcome to Geek Between the Lines, the podcast where we explore compelling ideas and some of our favorite geeky properties. I'm Chris.
1: And I'm Brittany.
0: And this week we're continuing our watch through of The Magicians. We'll be looking at season two, episode six, The Cock Barons.
1: Of course that's what we're looking at today.
0: (laughs) So uh, could you give us a recap?
1: The episode opens with Quentin doing the worst Cirque du Soleil impression the world has ever seen in the hopes of summoning Niffin Alice to the site where she died. When that doesn't work, he returns to Earth to attend Alice's funeral. Ghost-ish Alice leads him to information, and Quentin convinces her parents to help him with an Egyptian ritual that might bring Alice back. After a few pitfalls, a very sadistic Niffin Alice eventually appears and says that she's been there all along because Quentin's Caco demon stuffed her into his back tattoo. Back in New York, Katie and Julia search for the woman who banished Reynard 40 years ago. When Julia meets her, Dana takes Julia captive, insisting that the only way to banish Reynard is by using power that comes with giving birth to a demigod. Thankfully, Katie busts in and saves Julia, and they both leave, taking the imprisoned Paxton Paxton that kept Dana shielded from Reynard with them. Back in Fillory, Penny is looking for the moss that Mayakovsky needs when the neighboring kingdom of Loria sends their prince. Space S to offer an alliance under the terms of splitting the Wellspring and marrying the virgin Queen Margot. Margot rudely refuses his offer, and the Lorians respond with a spell that transports Castle Whitespire to the Cock Barons of Loria. In the castle, Fenn tells Elliot about her Foo Fighter days, and he doesn't know if he can trust her anymore. Margot seduces S, and after they have sex, Penny incepts Margot's dream to find out where they are. He consults the mapmaker, Benedict, to find the cock barons, but discovers the castle isn't there and the transportation was a ruse. When he tells Margot, she is furious and declares war on Loria. (laughs) <laughs>
0: yeah so that's uh it's... slow
1: pace. Yeah. Hardly anything going on <laughs> as per usual
0: well let's get into our analysis what were your magic moments of this episode
1: a couple things that aren't necessarily magic moments and the oh my god i love these things so <laughs> much but i do love the fact that Elliot and Margot are there with Quentin as he's Mm -hmm. trying to summon Alice, even though that they know that this is dangerous and if it works, and if it doesn't work, he'll probably be disappointed and stuff like that. But after it doesn't seem to work, Elliot subtly (laughs) explains that there's an entire kingdom's worth of problems to distract him. Mm -hmm. But... Quentin's like, I promise I'll come back and be king after I go to the funeral. So (laughs) he's still gonna leave. And Margot's like, Can we trust you with this button back? So yeah, once again showing that he's not helping in regard to Fillory at all. And it's really just them two, Ellie and Margot, that are dealing with all of the stresses and pressures of being royalty of a place that they are not familiar with and. Of any of them, Quentin would know Fillory the best, at least through the Chatwinds slash Plover's eyes, mm-hmm. but he's not even doing anything. You no, know, I, I get that he would want to go to the funeral, but it wasn't just that he wanted to go to the funeral. He wanted to continue to try more ways of bringing her back, and that's like his sole kind of focus. And yeah. I like that they show that at the beginning of the episode. And also just kind of with that being the situation, I was just reminded that Quentin has not checked up on his supposed best friend, Julia, Yeah. after they killed Martin. The last thing he knows is that she was trying to kill a god who had raped her and doesn't know anything else, doesn't know she's alive, mm-hmm. doesn't try to give her any support or, or anything, despite the fact that he even went and worked at that company last episode and everything, but just, like, no actual care or support for this person that's supposed to be his friend and that he said he cared about the yeah. situation. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> It's nice seeing Elliot and Margot call him out.
1: Yeah, I mean, Robert of Sutherland. course, Elliot is doing it in the more diplomatic way than <laughs> no, what... Margot might do but uh, you know they know that he's grieving too and, yeah. and they have compassion for that but i have a little less compassion <laughs> <laughs> another thing i really appreciate is julia and katie's relationship yeah as we see the negligence of quentin julia and katie they are helping each other supporting each other as julia mixes katie a potion to help her with her withdrawals and Not being addicted to meth. And then Katie's following up on a lead and checks up on Julia. And then Julia knew to leave her a message with a little poop emoji. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's just really nice to see their relationship and their friendship, or what some fans ship. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, really developing and being strong. And yeah, it's, it's just nice.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
1: Another thing I think is great is Margot's dream. Mm, (laughs) Because it's just so commonplace. Margot is so specific, Mm -hmm. but her being in the setting of a commonplace dream that... I haven't had the, like, naked ones, but I've definitely had, you didn't study for this exam, or you didn't write this paper. How mm-hmm. did you not read this book? And it's like, I haven't been in university for, like, over 10 years, <laughs> and I still will have those stress dreams sometimes. So it was <laughs> a nice little touch. No, she she's also just a human person.
0: Totally, yeah.
1: This is the type of thing that would stress her out, mm-hmm. uh, even if she doesn't act like it would, you know? And the fact that Alice in the dream is like, I'm dead, and even I studied. (laughs) It's just a great line.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: And the last thing that it doesn't really go anywhere, so I'll just say it here, is when Elliot was talking about, well, he had to marry someone who, you know, is not his sexual preference, and he's like... Thai food is interesting sometimes, and now it's all Thai food all the time, and I'm just like, that sounds amazing (laughs) to me. (laughs) Thai food is delicious. What are you talking about, Elliot? (laughs) Sure, I know you grew up in Indiana, but you lived in New York, although who knows what breakbills has to offer. That's true. (laughs) But yes, what about you? What are your magic moments?
0: Yeah, I think Elliot had some great lines, as he tends to to Mm. have... His joke about wanting a unicorn milk latte, and then someone making it for him, and his reaction to that is just delightful. Uh, And then he calls Penny a walking plot twist.
1: Oh, that is, yes, (laughs) excellent. Very,
0: very good. And I just love how Penny hates Fillory. (laughs) Like, (laughs) he gets so frustrated with the rules and...
1: The fact that they are carnivorous plants. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) It's just,
0: it's delightful.
1: So much is extra nonsense for him, and he's just like, I just need to find this moss. I don't care about the kingdoms. Mm -hmm. I just, I purposefully did not want to be crowned a monarch.
0: Yeah, exactly.
1: Yet <laughs> still gets drawn into the situation anyway.
0: He's just trying to exist, and <laughs> the plot twists just keep happening to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's not trying to bring them.
1: <laughs> but he does walk in. <laughs> yes, and... <laughs> exactly.
0: <laughs> and then there are a couple things about Alice's parents that I thought were, were interesting. For one, just the fact that Quentin is kind of like sneaking around at this funeral, at this wake, and when Daniel comes in and catches him in the study, he's just happy to see him. Mm -hmm. And he immediately believes Quentin. We talked about this a lot in the episode about Alice's childhood and when we first met her parents, but even though, sure, it seems like he can sometimes be obsessed with his research and, and things like that, he also seems like he's pretty kind and compassionate and caring. Yeah, at a time of his grief, he is still, you know, he doesn't harbor anything against Quentin. He is, yeah, kind to him in that moment when he could have many other emotions.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure how compassionate he is, but I think he can definitely be nice and warm and welcoming. Mm -hmm. But going back to the story with the cat, even if you have a fear of heights and you don't want to go up there and get it, well then, you know... Yeah, I'm sure you have tons of magician friends right. that come to your sex parties. You know, like get help from someone else. Him not being willing to do that, I think, shows a lack of compassion for both his daughter and the cat. Totally, Yes, yeah. Putting his own needs before anyone Absolutely. else's. Yeah, you know. yeah.
0: But the other thing that we hear about is how he and his wife have been continuing to follow up on the ghost kids at the Plover Estate Mm. that Alice called them and asked for their help. And they have been researching ways to help those kids. And I think that's really great. I think that is a good thing that Alice did. She didn't just drop it. You know, this was important to her at that time, but so often that kind of thing would just be forgotten as the show goes on.
2: Mm -hmm. But
0: yeah, I just, I think that that, that's, it was was a nice moment and a nice like way of seeing how, yeah, magical research can have a purpose. Uh, It doesn't have to be kind of purposeless as his research is sometimes framed.
1: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
0: But let's get into our next section on setting and society. What did you bring to talk about?
1: Let's just start out with a criticism of just something that is like non-humor that pretends to be humor when Penny says the name, you know, whatever the scientific name of the moss he's looking for is. Elliot's like, are you having a seizure? And like, I've heard that, or like, oh, did you just have a stroke? Like I've heard that sort of stuff actually quite frequently. But I don't know what about a really severe medical episode is funny. Uh my own mother had a stroke and that triggered early onset dementia. And so things like that are just completely asinine and Mm -hmm. ignorant, insensitive, horrible, not funny, ableist things to say. (laughs) So.
0: Yeah, that's a great point.
1: That bugs me. Yeah. I don't blame Elliot as much as I blame the writers. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Another thing that Kind of, I think, goes off of a conversation we had earlier when we were talking about the Chatwin's torrent mm-hmm. and who has, quote unquote, rights to this water. I think we're seeing another really good example of that with Loria
2: mm-hmm.
1: saying that they depend on the tributary and they want 50% access to it. And the Fillery doesn't want to give that access to a natural resource to this wellspring of magic that is on a planet that they all live on. Yeah. But for some reason a fillery has a monopoly over it. And that, yeah, it did remind me of what what you were talking about with Colorado the Colorado River and then Mexico.
0: Yeah, not being a part of the compact. Exactly.
1: And like just because you're another quote unquote country. But it's like it's still the same landmass. Mm-hmm. And like you can't just take it all, you know. Yeah. The fact that Loria criticizes them, that Fillory has been screwing things up for over a century, yeah. you know, for centuries. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. Yeah, and it must, and
0: it's frustrating because they're coming to rulers who themselves aren't even Florians.
1: Mm-hmm. That
0: it's not just that Fillory has claim that they require, but also. Fillory is ruled by people who aren't even from Fillory, that mm-hmm. aren't from that world at all. And yeah, I think that that's a, an interesting element and I almost wish that they didn't have S have the whole educated on Earth thing
2: mm-hmm. and that he could
0: be just a Fillorian character. Or a, or a Lorian, Lorian character, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not yeah. that there's not some interesting humor and stuff involved there too.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also think it's quite interesting that they have a different sort of magic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like really wands. So Harry Potter. It's <laughs> not how we do. Them. I mean, they do their little hand motions, mm-hmm. but yeah, the Lorians have been accessing magic in different ways for who knows how long. Maybe since the beginning of the Wellspring.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Just another great layer to add to the world building of this entirely different world.
0: Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
1: And then the main one that I really want to talk about is with Dana, the woman who was a survivor of Mm. Reynard, and particularly the fact that she is trying to force Julia to stay pregnant and give birth to a baby that she doesn't want to me, the parallels I'm seeing with our own world is that there are a lot of women who are anti-abortion, mm. uh, not just for themselves and their own personal decision that they wouldn't choose to do this, but they want to prevent other women or other people with uteruses from being able to access this health care. In the show, just because Dana didn't terminate her pregnancy, and she doesn't regret it, Mm -hmm. and she's somehow proud that the person she gave birth to has become some, quote, influential man, her assuming that Julia would or should feel the same is just so narrow-minded and narcissistic. Mm -hmm. It's like, because this is what I did... And it, quote unquote, worked out for me. This is what you should do too. And you choosing to do something different is not acceptable mm. because I don't agree with it. So she wants to take Julia's consent away, just like, sadly, a lot of women want to take other people's consent away on this issue. And, you know, it, it's it's patronizing and it's obviously problematic, and as we see with Dana, when people are okay to take consent away from pregnant people, they can also fall into a slippery slope of justifying taking consent away from other people, too.
2: Yeah.
1: Uh, like the Haxton Paxton, that for her own life or well being or whatever, she's willing to imprison this other sentient being mm-hmm. that he has to live in a their own feces you know and this is huge litter box and just be given food and chained up and just yeah using someone as a tool their will their agency all of it is just undermined or o- overrided overrode overridden one of these words <laughs> The end, I think, is still really sad because Reynard shows up. Yeah. I don't know why they maybe didn't take her with them so that Reynard couldn't get to her. I, I don't know if it was just because they frankly couldn't trust her. Mm hmm. And they didn't want to keep her imprisoned. You know, like, if she wanted to choose to try to find another haxion Paxton or find another way to protect herself, she could. But they're not going to keep her prisoner in yeah. their apartment. Or maybe they thought Reynard wouldn't care about her at this point. I'm not sure. But I think, metaphorically, maybe it can make a point. If we think about Reynard as an embodiment of misogyny and sexist violence mm-hmm. and oppression, well, women who try to force other women to do what they personally think is right by taking away other people's agency, well, that in some way, shape, or form will blow back on them in another way, if not in that way, uh, whether they realize it or not, because that's just how oppressive political attitudes work. Yeah. When you say it's okay to take choices away from anyone with a uterus, you know, you're saying that, sure, you may be an adult, but we will not allow you to make a choice about your own body, you know, Mm -hmm. and and that's going to be problematic, (laughs) whether it's other things like trying to ban contraceptives or other things like that. Or let's now also target some other protected class Mm -hmm. of people, whether it's ethnic minority, people with disabilities, LGBTQ plus people, you know. So when you side with oppressing people, well, if you're not a straight white man, (laughs) it, it may come back to oppress you as well.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And particularly if you, like, in your own oppression are supporting a system, you know, it's kind of like using the tools of the patriarchy, but you can't do that without supporting the patriarchy. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I think it it is interesting that ultimately she meets Reynard again, and she's unable to escape at this time because she's also alone, because she's only had transactional relationships that we've seen.
1: Yeah, I mean julia very well would have helped her if Mm -hmm. she hadn't tried to imprison her
2: yeah
1: (laughs) and force her to do something with her body that she didn't want to do so yeah she did not have any allies because she was not an ally to others yeah Yeah, not not to say that oh she deserves what you know of, of course not of course not uh but it could potentially be a Interesting parallel.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: What were you thinking about for setting in society?
0: I mean, I think the idea of the cock barons of Loria is (laughs) obviously hilarious. And uh,
1: (laughs) which I don't think existed in the books. It was just the clock barons.
0: Yeah, I think you're right.
1: You know, <laughs> they're named is... for
0: these pillars, you yeah. know. and uh...
1: As Penny says, there's a variety. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and yeah, it's just, it's funny because there are places around the world that are like that, where people are just like, this looks kind of like this. And so we're going to call it that. And of course, in a show like this, that's what they would call it.
2: Of course. Um,
0: but yeah, like we live close to Eagle Rock, a part of Los Angeles that's named for a big old rock that looks like it's got an eagle on it. In Pasadena there's a place called Devil's Gate because it's got a rock formation that looks like this uh a devil's head. Like, yeah, these are things that they do actually happen uh in society, even if we don't always think about them, but then we see <laughs> uh we see the magicians
1: They take it and particular run with twist it. of it, yes. <laughs> and I just
0: I cannot imagine how they got this listed as the episode of the title. <laughs> like this isn't the TV guide listings and things like
1: that like it's because nobody reads that yeah, anymore here <laughs> yeah
0: it's just it's wild but i want to talk a little bit more about benedict and about map making
1: yay benedict
0: I do love benedict uh, i love that actor as well yes uh, he does a good
1: job he's very different than in the books
0: yes yeah absolutely incredibly
1: different character but i think this really works
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) And it's, you know, a kind of humorous thing where when the castle disappears, Benedict's first priority is to make a new map because he's like, now there's no accurate map of (laughs) Fillory. You know, it shows how he's obsessed with these maps, but it also, I think, highlights the importance of maps, especially for society like Fillory. Knowing where places are, how to get to those places, this is important knowledge. And for a lot of history, people who had access to those kinds of knowledge, who had access to accurate maps, had access to really important knowledge that they could then use for trade and for travel. And so, yeah, having a map maker makes a lot of sense in that way. But I'm also thinking about it because I... No, I'm
1: just imagining Penny singing Mapmaker, Mapmaker, make me a map.
0: <laughs> sure, yeah. I don't know if I know that song, but okay.
1: <laughs> matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Oh. Fitter on the roof.
0: Got it, yeah. Okay, that makes more sense.
1: Yeah, because there would never be a song about a map maker.
0: No, there wouldn't. I mean, maybe there would, but I don't know.
1: It would definitely use cartographer then.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, uh, this also kind of... Made a light bulb go off for me because I just read a book called *The Cartographers*, mm. and that book is very much about how maps make meaning for the world and how the making of maps has a kind of magic to it because you are influencing the way that people think about the world after you've made that map, and you know the, the creation of any map is always about choosing what to include and what not to include the most accurate map of the world would be the size of the world. It would be exact. And that's not useful. When we need to scale down that information, then we need to choose what to include, what not to include.
1: How uh, distorted to make different continent sizes. I mean,
0: yes, exactly. A really, really good example. Uh, For most Americans, we probably think that Greenland is much, much larger than it actually is. And Australia is much smaller than it actually is. And, and Africa, um, because the Mercator projection, that is our kind of default map, highlights the Northern Hemisphere. And the further north you go, the greater those distortions are. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. It makes it so that there are massive issues in comparison in, in the size of continents and, and places. Mm-hmm. Um So, yeah, I just I think that especially for a land like Fillory, it absolutely makes sense that Benedict would see a problem with there being no accurate map of Fillory. This is an issue that needs to be rectified because, sure, he doesn't necessarily know if the the kings and queens will be okay, you know, if they'll ever be returned. But whoever is going to need that information, he's the person who can provide it. And Mm -hmm. so he's going to to take that time to do so. So yeah i just uh i am particularly interested after having read the cartographers with Benedict and with map making and and with yeah these ideas of how maps influence the way that people see the world, and of course how the ways people see the world influence maps hmm.
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah, that's really interesting, and i th- I think it's interesting too, because with the creation of Google Maps. Maps are so accessible to anyone with a smartphone mm-hmm. uh, or a computer and our lives rely on that so much not that we didn't previously rely on maps but it's just it's this interactive map yeah now they can do things dress differently and provide you with more features and you can save locations and you you know, instead of putting circles or stars or, you know, whatever <laughs> on your Thomas guy. I don't know if people really did before. I was taught how to use a Thomas guy because that was like right at the beginning of sort of map quests <laughs> and Google totally, Maps being yeah. like a more widely used thing. But um it's interesting even to think about fillery as a place that is magical yet a lot of the just lay people fillery don't seem to be using magic in terms of like being magicians Mm -hmm. and them not having computers and things like that so they have these maps that are i mean I, i could have seen it i guess being that they could use magical ink or you know something that would make Maps have different features, but it doesn't seem to be the case. It's more just, like, a standard drawn map. And yet, opposed to back when Julia was supposedly contacted by Our Lady Underground, but it was Mm Reynard, right? And on a map, it had a glowing part where they could find his minion person and... Uh, So they've they've already interacted with maps a bit, but yeah, it's very different in these different contexts.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, and even in this episode, Julie uses another, a similar spell for the almanac to find where Dana is. Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. So, yeah.
1: But, yeah, if you have something that's shielding you from it, are these things accurate or, you know, yeah. Yeah. it's, It's interesting. Absolutely. We'll talk about... Margot and stuff later, I'm sure. But it is kind of amusing to think about a fake moving of Castlewide Spire and then what she did as the like senior prank sort of situation of moving the right. cottage. Yeah. Like, yeah, these things can cause problems. Yes, exactly. That's so funny.
0: But yeah, let's let's move into our next section on themes and schemes. What did you bring?
1: Yeah, so one that I was thinking about is just ideas of diplomacy. This is something that we've already seen been going on, sort of, as Elliot and Margot are trying to get their bearings in Fillory being <laughs> royalty there now. Mm-hmm. But we're going to definitely continue to see that going forward. So I, I think that even though compared to season one where you have there's the beast this big bad and like these characters are working their way towards addressing that issue and Julia's her her specific journey as well here with diplomacy it is not as epic seeming a journey <laughs> <laughs> so I think that There are some parts, when I've watched previously, being sometimes a little less enthralled by the Thalorian diplomacy part Mm -hmm. of this season. I mean, obviously, characters still doing great stuff. You know, funny lines and cock barons. You know, amazing (laughs) situations. But it's not a easily recognizable trajectory of diplomacy because diplomacy is messy and case-by-case basis, you know, it's different people that you're interacting with are going to change the whole circumstances. And so, yeah, I think that I'm going to be trying to look a little more intently at diplomacy and the ideas that they're engaging with in the different episodes, obviously, Thus far, we see a stark difference between Elliot and Margot Mm -hmm. in their style of (laughs) talking to people, in ruling, in declining things. Uh, Elliot's like, we will consider your proposal. You know, like, this is what he starts saying, and then she comes out with a rude, dismissive retort mm-hmm. and I understand why she's frustrated with the situation. You're just gonna come in here and like as if I'm some diplomatic strategic move, yeah. not a person. Oh, I'll marry you off to solidify alliances, you mm-hmm. know, and and that just seeming so archaic for her. But <laughs> There is something to diplomacy, even if you are going to decline the offer, uh, which obviously caused problems. Obviously, at the end of the episode, (laughs) we see a severe response. And I think these things can cause a lot of problems when people do things for personal reasons rather than with diplomacy in mind, because she is personally offended and furious, but she involves all of these people in the potential consequences of that, and so I think, especially... I am not comparing Margot to Trump, because (laughs) Margot is obviously a million, billion times better than (laughs) Trump, but... There can be severe consequences of people just making rash decisions that affect whole nations or regions of the world, and especially when certain populations may be more vulnerable. Yeah. Things that can really affect people uh, based off of the leaders not being able to do what's best for everyone.
0: Mm Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, too, because S's gambit was also directed at the leaders. hmm It wasn't, we are kidnapping a thousand Florians. It's, we're kidnapping you.
1: Yeah.
0: <laughs> Should Fillory lose access to resources that it relies on? Again, not to say that Lorians shouldn't also have access to these resources. Well, exactly.
1: But and <laughs> do good leaders just look out for whatever is best for, quote-unquote, their people? Mm-hmm. or? do they want everyone to be able to enjoy access to resources? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then the other thing that I was thinking about is the scene with Stephanie, Alice's Mm. mother, particularly when she's talking to the mirror and the mirror starts breaking because of the things that she's saying and the things that she's saying are based off of her own perspective of the situation, not... Like Quentin says, Alice's truth, what yeah. Alice experienced. And Stephanie finally kind of breaks a bit, saying that, what am I supposed to say? Am I supposed to say that I never really understood her and I never really tried? Yeah. It's a really painful thing for her to say because her daughter's now dead. And so. Even if this situation would make her want to try, it's too late.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. It's just a really good scene. And it was kind of making me think about secrets magic Mm. and the third trial that they had to do, which was bearing their utmost internal guiding circumstance. And I was kind of wondering if that's what this is for... Stephanie, in in her relationship with Alice, that she never understood her and she never really tried. And I think that goes both ways. Because I don't think that Alice, at least from the interaction we saw with the two of them in the previous episode, I don't think Alice really tried either. Yeah, And so, yeah, I was just kind of thinking about if it's something that... You know, the the circumstances, you know, kind of interesting, but I never really thought much more about it. And so I just found it kind of interesting, this episode, if this is the guiding principle of all their interactions or or had been.
0: Yeah, that is fascinating because, yeah, it asked for the, the, the truth of the person, but how can that ever really be given?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And obviously the part that she started with, that was breaking the glass was untrue in both ways. Not only was it not Alice's truth, but it also wasn't what Stephanie believed Mm -hmm. at her core. And so the second part where she talks about that she never understood her or tried to, that's still about Stephanie. It's not Alice's truth, right? Mm -hmm. That's still Stephanie's, but it is still a truth about Alice. Mm
1: -hmm. Which, yeah, I mean, I I get it, it can be difficult. When you really don't understand someone to try Mm -hmm. to, if their way of being seems so contrary to yours or their perspective seems so invalid or whatever, from your point of view, you know, it can be hard to want to try to understand, like, in an honest way. Totally. (laughs) So, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, I was also thinking a lot about Alice's death. How we see Quentin being literally haunted by Alice.
2: hmm
0: You know, which we find out at the end is, is her as a Niffin. In Having his,
1: fun. Yeah, exactly.
0: Messing with him and her parents. But for all three of them, they are seeing Alice as they want to see her. And as someone that kind of gives them direction or something to do, something to do with their grief. You know, we talk a lot about how Quentin doesn't commit to things or Quentin, you know, is looking for an ex-adventure. Well, this haunting is literally doing that for him Mm -hmm. and giving him a path to go down, taking him into the study and and all of these other kinds of things. And he's seeing, yeah, this vision of Alice and the fact that the Niffin knows exactly how to manipulate all of them and Mm -hmm. including Quentin by showing an Alice that looks vulnerable and hurt and then saying <laughs> help me. And
1: then she just shows up. What does she say is she just like idiot?
0: Yeah, I think so. <laughs>
1: That's Niff and Alice's real thoughts. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: And this is one of the things that that I do find particularly interesting about this season is the idea that Quentin has Niff and Alice inside of this tattoo. Mhm. And that they're kind of magically linked in this way. In some ways, it's kind of like a monkey's paw situation where he gets what he wants, but it's not what he wants because <laughs> Alice now is something different, someone different.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: that must be very painful for Quentin, but also hopefully we'll let Quentin confront some of the things that he needs to confront
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, about that. So I'm looking forward to, to more of the episodes there that explore that relationship.
1: Totally, yeah. Um.
0: But I think that this in this episode, we see how Alice, as a ghost, haunting Quentin, is like an illusion, and I think that that's purposefully set against the illusion of Castle Whitespire being in Loria,
2: mm. And how both
0: of these are illusions that are being used to manipulate people, that are being used to make people do as others want them to. It's interesting because... Illusions are so often what people think about when they think about magic. You know, in our world, much of the work of magicians is illusion work. Mm -hmm. And in certain video games and Dungeons and Dragons and other kinds of things, illusion magic is often one of the kind of schools of magic that you can learn, where you Mm -hmm. can learn alchemy or destructive magic or summoning magic or illusion magic. And, And so seeing that being used against our protagonists, I think is narratively interesting, obviously, because it means that we can get into interesting plot points, but it's also a way of, yeah, seeing how magic makes it so that it's more difficult to trust people. You know, when you're talking about diplomacy that's <laughs> built on trust, <laughs> when magic's there at play, obviously that makes trust more difficult in, in many ways. As we also see with Elliot, not knowing if he can trust Fen, mm-hmm. who he's in a magical marriage to. And so, yeah, I guess I'm, I'm interested in this, this kind of concepts of illusion and trust uh, and magic and how they are working together in this episode and in this season. Because at times it can just be used for fun, like for humor, but at times it also, I think, has a little bit more narrative weight, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and and the haxton paxton was providing illusion Hmm. magic to dana and then julia who dana was manipulating to get under this illusion so that theoretically if julia hadn't been smart and sent the pin of where she was to katie it would have been a completely different situation
0: totally yeah yeah good point but why don't we head into our from another point of view section Whose perspective did you want to explore today?
1: It's time to return to Penny. Oh yay. <laughs> I was thinking about him in particular because there there's always so much to his character, but I think that there are a couple things potentially revealed in this episode that I didn't really think about or notice too much before that were really interesting to me. One of them is that Penny is not phased at all by Margot's dream mm-hmm. and she's naked in it and he doesn't ogle her or any of this stuff. He's just like, Where did you go? Where's the <laughs> castle? And you know, interacting with her in his same generally exasperated way, although he's clearly amused that this is a stress dream that she's having, that she like didn't study for a test. Yeah. She's like, you better not tell anyone. He's like, no, I'd, I'd much rather you owe me big time, which <laughs> I am kind of sad that I don't think we ever actually get to see him cash in that, <laughs> because I just wonder what that sort of situation would be, especially because we we honestly haven't seen Margot and Penny interact that much True. together, and it was making me think back to Quentin's sex dream from mm-hmm. last season. And he also didn't take that and, like, spread rumors about it or tell all of the friends so people would make fun of him about it and stuff like that. And he's not making fun of Margo here. And so I was kind of wondering if, for Penny, he knows it's an invasion of privacy that the other person is not consenting to.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And he takes it seriously. He doesn't utilize that to harm people, And so, yeah, I was just thinking that was interesting because the type of character you would normally see written for a person who has a chip on their shoulder like (laughs) Benny always seems to, he would. Uh, Of course, he makes fun of Quentin about being way too into certain fandoms that he is or whatnot, but that's like publicly known information Mm -hmm. rather than taking personal, vulnerable things and spreading that around to make fun of people. And the other thing that I was thinking about with his character in particular this episode is his interactions with Elliot at the beginning when he first gets back to Fillory versus his interactions with Benedict mm. throughout the episode. Because Elliot tries to be supportive to him He says, I know that you were close to Alice, and Penny clearly has this wall up, and he's like, okay, what I'm trying to ask is if you're okay, and Penny just says, are you okay? He's like, okay, then we're not going to talk about this. (laughs) Like Penny just, he doesn't want to talk, and he doesn't really seem to appreciate that Elliot's trying to (laughs) offer an act of care and support but that's not what penny wants
2: yeah
1: yeah at the end of the episode when he's actually given the map to the moss by benedict he actually expresses sincere thanks Yeah. so much so that he feels the need to then mitigate it with an insult as he's walking away i think that's Probably the most sincere thankfulness we've seen him express to anyone. So I was thinking about, like, what is the difference here? And I was kind of wondering if it's because Benedict is the only person who is helping Penny in the way he needs it in this episode, Mm. in the way that he's asking for help in this episode, is to find this moss. Because something that is incredibly important to him, which makes a lot of sense than we talked about last episode is him having access to magic this moth will help him get there yet benedict's the only person who's actually helping him with that problem as opposed to other people who actually know him better mm. you know yet it's this person he's meeting for the first time that takes this time to do labor for penny to help and So I was kind of, yeah, wondering if Penny is, we already know he's this sensitive little Hufflepuff, (laughs) right? But I wonder if one of his main love languages is acts of service. Mm. He clearly doesn't want words of affirmation (laughs) that doesn't do anything for him.
2: Yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He was with Katie. (laughs)
1: He was with Katie, and it's like, he's one of the most rare type of magicians. Doesn't need to brag about it. Doesn't need to be a door. Doesn't need to be a king. You know, he's whatever. And he's actually constantly giving acts of service to others. Mm -hmm. Taking people places, saving Quentin countless times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Saving them all from the regicide curse. Thing after thing, he's constantly helping people, uh, trying to steal something from Mayakovsky to help Katie get out of the situation with Marina. And the people that he seems to get along with the best, I think, also have done some acts of service for him. So Katie, we definitely see her helping him with his tattoo. Mm Mm-hmm. And she helped him when he heard a voice and she was like, well, I'm going to go with you. And, you know, lent her hand then, as well as after he traveled to Fillory, she's like, okay, let's go talk with Quentin and we'll try to see if he knows anything about the situation. So she was like very... Action-oriented to Mm -hmm. help him with the problems that he was facing. And I think Professor Sunderland is another person who, after he overdosed, she helped him, even gave him illegal patch for the back of his neck because the pain was so severe. Then when his hands were cursed, she helped him again. And Alice when was going to bring him his illegal painkillers, you know, when he was in the hospital. And so, yeah, it was the first time I was really noticing that maybe we see him having more positive interactions with people who actually take his needs seriously mm-hmm. and actually try to help with them. Which makes it even more sad when he has his hands cut off in a box that he's holding on and nobody remembers to try to help him with that. You know, he has to be like, what am I going to do with my hands? And, you know, Margo went along with him, but not really to go along with him. She's like, oh, it has healing water. I might as well get some, you know? Uh, And so, yeah, I'm just kind of wondering about him and if maybe unbeknownst to him, he actually appreciates and feels more cared for when people are actually doing acts of service for him.
2: Yeah,
0: that makes sense. And particularly makes sense because Penny is so self-sufficient. He can travel. He is a strong magician. Mm -hmm. You know, he doesn't need a lot of advice. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he's pretty competent overall. And so the times that he does ask for help, it's something that he needs. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it reminds me of... When he told Quentin, I need you to finish the quest mm-hmm. for the White Lady so he could get his hands back. Yeah, that I think was an important moment for both of them because Penny doesn't need things very often and Quentin needs to be needed mm-hmm. <laughs> so intensely. Yeah, yeah, that's a really interesting part of his, his personality.
1: Yeah, this this, this will be something interesting to pay attention to. Totally. What about you? Who's your POV?
0: Uh, I want to talk about Margot.
1: Oh, Margot.
0: Oh, (laughs) Margot.
1: The Virgin Queen. Yes.
0: Yeah, Margot's, I think, really interesting this episode. And and I I was kind of just keeping track of things, but after thinking about it, I realized how Margot's real conflict in this episode is her struggling to maintain control over herself, over others, over her kingdom. You know, I think even the dream that you mentioned ties in with this, where, yes, it's a common dream, but it's a dream Mm -hmm. where she doesn't have control over her knowledge and what's expected of her or over the clothing, over her body, Mm -hmm. you know, Uh, where, yeah, she's kind of in this helpless situation and... That is striking for Marco because we never see her like that. We don't see her as normal (laughs) or Mm -hmm. vulnerable, you know, because I think she puts out this sense of control and competence in so much of what she does. But having to consider this idea of marrying S, and Mm -hmm. uh, I think one of her big struggles there is that she, yeah, she's losing her power and her control, you know, which she herself calls out when she and Elliot are talking and Elliot's kind of saying, you know, I already married for fillery and for, you know, not Mm -hmm. for love. Uh, She points out that there is a difference that she would be marrying a man who seems like he doesn't care much about consent. Mm -hmm. And as a woman, as someone who's not high king, is a different kind of agreement uh, and, and a different place that she's in.
1: What could possibly go wrong?
0: Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I think that, that for her to consider this marriage, it's really important for her to only do it if it's in a way where she has power and she is able to consent and she's able to exert her agency.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And so when she goes to talk to S and ultimately seduce him, in some ways it's a little whiplashy. Where she's was just talking about how she doesn't want to marry him, and then she sleeps with him. But I think that a lot of that is her... Yeah, because she is seducing him, she is taking control. She's taking power in that relationship and yeah. in that dynamic.
1: Not that she had decided, okay, I'm going to marry this person or whatever, but... If it could even possibly be on the table, Mm -hmm. she is going to notify him what the dynamics of this relationship are going to be prior to uh, even considering it.
0: Absolutely. Particularly because I think she's also offended by these implications that she's a virgin or (laughs) that she isn't as sexually competent as... Lorian women or, you know, these other kinds of things. And I found it really interesting that she, when she's seducing him, she calls herself a liberated woman. Mm -hmm. Uh, That is what gives her sexual confidence and sexual capability. That she's been liberated and so has control over her body and so can exert that control compared to yeah, Lorian women who maybe are in a more patriarchal system where they don't have the same kind of sexual agency. You know, it's is kind of my undercurrent reading of her saying that. Uh, well, and
1: regardless, if someone is royalty and other people are not, like Fen exactly. was pointing out to Elliot in the previous episode, like, if they want to say no, can they? Do they feel the pressure that they have to engage this way because you're royalty, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. So yeah, I I just found it interesting thinking about how she's kind of struggling with these things. She's trying to think at what to do, you know, how to best fulfill her responsibility as queen, how to maintain her agency and power. And then she finds out about the ruse that Mm -hmm. this whole thing that made her question herself, that made her put herself in a position where she had to consider marrying someone who she didn't want to marry. And all these other kinds of elements was all based off of a lie was based off of a trick. She, Yeah, she does not react sagely. Uh,
1: it was not High Queen Margot the sage. No, no.
0: Uh, yeah, she declares war. And I think that that's another way of her, yeah, trying to exert that power of saying, oh, you think you're going to trick me? Well, I'm a High Queen. I have armies at my disposal, and I will do whatever I want. You cannot manipulate me. You cannot force me to do things I don't want to do. Um,
1: Well, I think she's like, no, there are consequences mm -hmm. for your deception and manipulation.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, as usual, when I choose Margot and think through what (laughs) Margot's going through, I I would make my decisions very, very differently than (laughs) Margot does. Uh, And I don't think that she makes the best decisions all the time, but I do find her such a compelling character.
1: Do we entirely understand her? No. no. But we do try. Yeah,
0: and, <laughs> and it's clear that she has great depth, that it's not mm-hmm. a character who is kind of one note, but who instead, yeah, has interesting dynamics happening in her personality and her characterization.
1: Definitely, yeah. And I was kind of wondering if part of her extreme reaction has anything to do with her ex making the margot of her and the fact that it could have even killed her you know i was draining her life force and her just being like no i am not going to let anyone take advantage of me i am not going to let anyone not have consequences for doing something wrong to me yeah Especially when it comes to sexually.
0: Yeah. Agreed.
1: And, you know, it it was a situation, too. At the time, Elliot went with her to confront her ex, but didn't actually help. He was already intoxicated and then did drugs with them, and, you know, this was an argument that they had. Yeah. And so for her, <laughs> again, it's not a good decision, but for her to not console Elliot. Well, Elliot didn't console her on the last major decision to pardon Baylor.
2: Yeah.
1: And she maybe is not 100% confident that he would have her back in in this, which he wouldn't, and for nope. good reason, but <laughs> But you know. she's...
0: He said that he trusted her and he'll support her whatever she chooses, so <laughs> she took that to the farthest extreme she could. That was...
1: <laughs> bad choice of words, Elliot. (laughs) (laughs) Not whatever. Always put some parameters down. (laughs) Especially when Marco is involved. Yes.
2: (laughs) (laughs) All
0: right. Well, why don't we revisit the title of the episode? How do you think the Cock Barons sums (laughs) up this episode?
1: I mean it's it's just a ridiculous title for a ridiculous show, you know? It could there maybe have something been something more encompassing of all of the mm-hmm. plots? Yeah, maybe that's something that had to do with illusion, magic, or, or whatnot. Sure. Should we have gone with that instead of the cock barons? I'm I'm not clear <laughs> on that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you gotta respect at least the audacity of yeah, it exactly. <laughs> of making Netflix have to show that on <laughs> its screen. <Yeah. laughs>
1: when you see next episode out, <laughs> you know it just makes you laugh. Exactly.
0: Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that will wrap up our discussion of the Cock Barons. So, what's happening next time on The
1: Magicians? So we're going to be watching episode seven, Plan B. Where we have a heist on our hands. I know, you gotta love a heist episode.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you all so much for listening to this week's episode of Geek Between the Lines. You can find links to our website, our social media, and our Patreon in the episode description. And we'd love it if you just told a friend about the show and got them to watch along with us.
1: Send them this episode so that they'll have the Cock Barons in their app, too.
0: (laughs) Exactly. We want to thank Kimberly Kuniko at Lacelet for designing our logo. You can find her designs at lacelet.com, Instagram, or Patreon. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week. Until then, geek out. out!